Anybody else tempted when they were said, and may the hope of Christ be with you and also with you? <clears throat> I'm Ken Rossin, glad to be here with you today. I am married to one wife, I have four kids. And uh, I wasn't always a youth worker. I uh, spent some time working at a gas station called Quick Trip in uh, Kansas. It's kind of like Speedway. And it was always a uh, fun gig. I really actually loved working there. Talk about hope. I remember this one time. It was my first night shift. I had worked like four days in a row during the day. And this was going to be my first like second shift. And at like... 10 o'clock, all the clerks all go into the back to stock the freezers and stuff. And so it's just me at the register. And this guy comes in and he says, hey, do you work alone? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Do I work alone? No, I don't work alone. No, there's people in the back, man. No. You know, I'm just like, my first night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. Oh my gosh. I heard all the rumors, seen all the news. It's, I'm going to be in the news now. Oh my gosh. Right? And he uh, kind of looks at me weird, and I'm like, I'm, he's like, do you work alone? I'm like, no way. No way is what I actually said to him. And he's like, why not? I'm all, it's too dangerous. Too dangerous. And he kind of gives me this weird look. Walks off, gets his coffee, comes back and pays for it, kind of looking at me weird. And, and then I remembered a couple days ago, uh, people sometimes come into the gas station to sell you stuff. And what I realized after he left is he didn't ask me if I, if I work alone. He asked me if I wear cologne. <laughs> Do you wear cologne? No way. <laughs> why, why not? Too dangerous. <laughs> I'm going to bet off those ladies, you know. Talk about hoping to stay alive. You know, this year was a year of hope for the Rossin household because this was the year that our son was going to finally get to ride Maverick, right? And here's a picture of him after he rode the actual ride, if it will come up on the stage. There we go. There he is, little guy. It's kind of fun for us, too, because our son's name is actually Maverick, and I got his permission to share this story with you. Um, I know what you're thinking, man, that guy must really love Top Gun. Well, I mean, I do like it, but that's not really why he's named after it. When we moved to Ohio, my sweet wife was pregnant, and we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, and we still didn't know have a name or anything. And I met this one kid named Maverick, and I said to him, I bet your parents really love Top Gun. He's like, yeah, I get that a lot. And um, so I came home, and I just kept thinking about that name. And so I asked Jen, like, hey, what do you think about the name Maverick? She's like, oh, I don't know. What does it mean? I'm like, oh, yeah, we probably should know what it means. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we looked it up, and a maverick is someone who goes against the flow, someone who's a rebel, someone who does not go with everyone else, someone who does their own thing. And we, we just thought of Romans 12.1, where Paul writes, you know, do not be conformed any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We want our kid, whoever it's going to be, to be a maverick for the Lord, to be someone that, you know, when the crowd is going this way, he goes the way of the Lord. And so we were like, yeah, whether it's a boy or a girl, he was going to be named Maverick. So it was really fun for him to finally get to ride the Maverick. And I don't know if you've ever been on the Maverick, but the Maverick is a different coaster. Like, instead of being up, 
it goes along the ground. It's called a land coaster. And I remember the first time Jen and I rode it. Oh, my word, what a wild ride. I had never been on anything like it before. It was so fun, just absolutely thrilling. And, you know, when you're a bigger person, it's important to have lots of hope when you are at the roller coaster, because number one, you're hoping that you don't have to take the walk of shame, you know, like where you go in and you don't fit, you're like, oh my gosh, so you're just hoping it will, you know, it will latch, and then finally when it does latches, when you're on the ride, you're just hoping that it's going to stay latched, right? You're going to be the one person that you're too big and it breaks and fly off and again in the news, and so you're always filled with hope. Well, it's not always easy, right? Sometimes hope is really hard to hold on to. I'm entering into a really weird time of life. I have aging parents, and some of you have been there. You know what that's like. My mom passed away 10 years ago, and oh, it was tough. It was tough to watch her go from an occasional trip and stumble to being fitted for a brace to walking with a cane to crutches to, um, to a, what's that little wheelie thing? A walker to a walker to a wheelchair she had ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and it was just so horrible to watch her just waste away. And my last weekend with her, I'll never forget, um, we were with her, and she was just in tremendous pain, just agony. And I don't know what happened between the nurse and the doctor, but she did not get enough morphine. And she was just in literal agony until we figured out what is wrong. And so then we had to wait for the nurse or doctor to come to administer more. And in the meantime, my mom is just suffering. And I remember standing there, sitting there on my knees, praying to God out loud, God, God, if, if you're done with her, please, please just take her home. Please end her misery, end her suffering. If you're going to heal her, now is the time. Please, God. And I, I remember hearing nothing. It's hard to have hope. It's hard to hold on to hope sometimes. My dad is getting older. We, he celebrated 90 years old last May, and uh, Jen and I got to go out there and visit with him. That's my sweet wife, Jen, and my dad, Larry, and his wife, Donna, and then my dad's kids, Debbie and Ken. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do a selfie with people in their 90s. It is not easy <laughs> to do. And it brought us a ton of joy. You can tell how hard I am laughing. And it was nice to get together and have stories, but unfortunately, the story that always gets told is the time when my dad and I got into a physical fight. I, for me, I mean, it's funny in some ways, but for me, it carries so much shame because I was such an obnoxious high schooler. I upset my dad so much, he wanted to fight me. So he pushed me into a mirrored closet door, and it broke, and and while they laugh, you know, while they're laughing about it, I'm just sitting here going, man, with my dad getting dementia, why can't he forget that story? <laughs> There's all kinds of stories I'd love for him to forget. The time in college where I borrowed his car and wrecked it. The time I wrecked my mom's car. All kinds of things. Why can't he forget those things? But it's hard knowing that he's forgetting key memories of his life, key people, key names, and someday my name will be one of those names. Sometimes it's hard to hold on to hope. When your mom and dad are fighting, they get separated, get divorced, 
your mom moves to a new town, which is a new life for her, but for you, it's, it's really difficult because you've never had to make friends before, and now you're switching schools mid-year, and you know all these new kids, but you don't have any skills, and you feel so alone. It's hard to hold on to hope when you feel like all your friends are changing, and they don't want to be your friend anymore. You're wondering what you did. But all that happened was they started getting cell phones. And because you're the last kid at your school to get a cell phone, they've all moved on because they're making plans and talking with each other because they're so excited with their phones. And they don't realize that you don't have a phone. And it's not that necessarily they forgot about you, but they're not including you anymore. It's hard to hold on to hope when you have grown up in the church and you have questions about God and no good answers. It's hard to hold on hope when you are heading into college and people are talking about what college you're going to and what, what degree they're going to chase and you're not sure what you want to do or if you even want to do college. It's hard to hold on to hope when you really love Jesus but you don't like the church. It's hard to hold on to hope when you are suffering, when people that you love are suffering, when the Browns are suffering. You Browns fans are suffering again this year, right? And that's not bad. Steelers fans, you have the same record as the Browns. That's suffering. It's hard to hold on to hope when you are struggling with addiction. And no matter what you do, you can't stop. No matter who you talk to, no matter how many times you try, you keep going back to it. Hard to hold on to hope when you're married to an addict. And no matter what they do, they keep choosing this other thing instead of you. And yet you have to keep a secret. You feel like you can't tell anyone. It's hard to hold on to hope. Hard to hold on to hope when you listen to young men of color talk about how they are made fun of and called names and excluded from things because of the color of their skin. It's hard to hold on to hope when people hate people like you so much they go into a bar and shoot to kill anyone like you. It's hard to hold on to hope when you pray and you ask God, please, I'm begging you, heal. Heal my loved one. Take care of me. God, where are you? And all you hear is silence. And I think for a lot of people in the early church, they felt that way. And I think that's why we can turn to the book of Hebrews for some encouragement this morning about hope. The letter to the Hebrews was written about 25 years after Jesus had ascended back up into heaven. Jesus came, was born, Christmas, right? Lived 30 years, died on the cross, was dead for three days, rose to life. Then he hung out for a while, and then he went back ascending to heaven before telling everyone, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm going to rescue you all. I'm going to come back. It's going to be awesome. I'm bringing a new heaven and a new earth. I have a place for you. And I'll tell you, that must have been really good news that first year. Hey, guys, the kingdom of heaven is near. God is coming. He's coming back. Even year two was exciting. Year five, 10, 15, 20, 25. I mean, where is God? You can imagine the persecution these Christians are facing, not being able to get jobs, being locked up, people trying to stop them from believing, and they're going, I thought your God was coming. Is it your God coming? Did he say that? Was it 25 years ago? And for these people, like, they probably never even seen Jesus or a follower of Jesus. Like, if they were lucky, maybe someone who once saw someone who maybe once heard a disciple, maybe they 
had heard of him. But here was a letter, and a letter telling him, and do you know how long 25 years was? Do you know what the number one box office movie was 25 years ago? Any guesses? Men in Black. Men in Black. That's how long 25 years is. Remember, that's when Tom Lee Jones looked like he was still alive. <laughs> 25 years. The number one song was recorded by Elton John. You might remember Tony Braxton's hit, Unbreak My Heart. Unbreak my heart. Tell me you love me again. I know, I know. How they don't let me lead worship. I, I have asked so many times, please. And Pastor Todd's like, man, if people, if you lead worship, they're going to be watching you and worshiping you and not the Lord. We... So it's my cross to bear. All right, anyone? Know? And then, of course, 25 years ago, we had this banger. I just want to apologize for 1997. How was that a good song ever? Oh, my gosh, Hanson. Some of you are feeling old right now, just like me. Some of you are like, I've never heard that song. Well, you're welcome. Um, 25 years ago, do you know what Elton John's song was, the number one song? Any guesses? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Candle in the wind. Candle in the wind, right? Because 25 years ago this summer, Princess Di was killed in a tragic auto accident. None of you are thinking of Princess Di. You haven't thought about Princess Di in forever unless you're watching The Crown or you were paying attention when the Queen Mother passed away. 25 years is a long time to go without hearing from God or God returning. And so what could this letter writer to these Jewish Christians, what could he say to them to give them hope? That's what we're going to look at today in chapter 6. It begins with this. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it, right? We've all done that, right? I promise to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. I swear I'm over the grave, cross my heart, hope to die, stick it either. You got it, you got it, right? We've all done it. And without any question, that oath is binding. Verse 17, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Those who received the promise, that's them, and that's, that's us. Start of verse 18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Maybe you've been asked that question, could God make a rock so big that even God couldn't lift it? All right, well, the answer is no. God could not do that because that would be contradicting himself, and God can't contradict himself. He cannot lie. There's all kinds of things God can't do. God can't sin, tempt you to sin, force you to sin, cause you to sin. He can't lie, all kinds of things. But I really want you to focus on this first part. So God has given both his promise and his oath. His promise, that is huge. Uh, 20 plus years ago, we started reading this book to our youngest daughter, Sierra, My Goodnight Bible. And in it are five words that since the day we first read it have been tattooed onto my heart and my soul. And I want to read that for you today. The reason why this is such a great children's Bible is because honestly, the stories are really short. <laughs> it's only four pages, right? And the first page is like a big picture where you have to find nightlight. That's that little, 
that little bug guy right there. So you have to find him. He's hidden on the page. So let's open up uh, the Good Night Bible. And I know some of you are trying to find night lights. I'll just wait for you. He's on the sheep, if you didn't get him yet. So the title says, A Baby for Sarah. And then it says this, God said what God promises, he keeps. Those five words, what God promises, he keeps. That is huge. God keeps his promises. We can trust him. So because God keeps his promises, we have the next verse, the rest of 18. Therefore, because God keeps his promises, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Let's read that last sentence together out loud. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Anchor. That is a great description of what hope can be for us. It was huge with the early Christians. Pastor Jay, in preparing for this sermon, told me how back in, in Rome, in the catacombs where the Christians hid because they were facing such persecution, you could find inscribed on the walls pictures of anchors. And on the tombs of Christians, you would find them decorated anchors because those Christians knew, like sailors do, that anchors provide stability, security, and safety. And so that hope was an anchor for them. The writer of Hebrews goes on to share stories of, of women and men who trusted in God, who placed their hope in God, even though they never saw Jesus come. And his challenge to, to the Jewish Christians was, guys, because of these guys' faithfulness and because of God's promise, you can be sure that God's going to keep his promise. He's going he's gonna to rescue you. He's going to save you. He's going he's gonna to bring justice so you can trust God. And that's huge, right? The big idea here is that we have hope because God keeps his promises. We have hope because God keeps his promises. I love that uh, picture of an anchor. So I asked my father-in-law uh, if I could borrow his anchor, and he handed me this. And I was like, what is that? He's like, that's an anchor. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is a martial arts weapon I saw in John Wick. He's like, no, man, that's your anchor. I'm like, okay. So, you know, the anchor goes down into the water and gets caught, you know, in all the muck. And somehow, I don't know what you get in there. I have no idea how you get it out of there. But somehow it stays lodged in there. And so while the Hebrew writer is talking about we have hope as an anchor, I feel like for a lot of us, we feel like there's a different kind of anchor holding us down. And I don't know what that anchor is for you. Maybe for you, that anchor is something that you did in the past that you can't forgive yourself for. Maybe it's something you did that you feel like is so bad that there's no way God could ever forgive you for it. Maybe you are angry and disappointed because when you needed God, he wasn't there. And those things are holding you back. Maybe it's a habit that you've struggled with for years, and no matter what you do, you can't break it. And you feel like it's holding you back. Maybe it's not being able to, to trust 
Um, not just trust God, but don't trust that God's caring for you. That even though the Bible says he's going to care for you, it sure doesn't feel like he's taking care of you. I don't know what that anchor that is, that is sinking you, that has you tied around you. I don't know what that is and what that could be. But there is hope because God keeps his promises. So what can you do? What can you do to, to grab hold of hope? Well, I think the first step you have to do is you have to let go of the anchor that's holding you back and walk into the crucifixion there. Uh, and second, and to grab hold of hope, right? You have to let go of the anchor holding you back and grab hold of hope. And I know what you're thinking, thanks, Ken, that's really great, as if I haven't tried that a million times to let go of this anchor and to grab hold of hope. But that's the great thing, right? Those anchors weigh you down, but the anchor of Jesus, of hope, it lifts us up. I'm reminded of this story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German pastor. He was a uh, martyr. He was a spy. He eventually was arrested and tortured and killed because of his role in an assassination plot of Hitler. And while he was in prison, one of his prisons, uh, his family tried to come up with a plan to get him to escape, to rescue him. And so they asked people to contribute money, and they found a guard that they could bribe that was friendly to Bonhoeffer. And they even had enough money to get a mechanic's outfit. And so they came up with this plan that they would give the mechanic's outfit to this guard. He would smuggle it in, bring it to Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer would dress in the mechanic's outfit and then walk out the front door with all the mechanics. It was all set, all ready to go. The day came, the guard came, the guard told Bonhoeffer what he was going to do. And Bonhoeffer was, said, I can't, I can't. If I leave, they're going to torture all these people. And they're going to torture my family. I can't do it. You can imagine how hard that was, right? People prayed and asked God, God, isn't this what you want? God, God's giving us a plan. This is what God's doing. God is rescuing you. You're praying for God to deliver you. Well, here it is. What are you doing? And yet he knew that he had to trust God for something else, that that wasn't it. There's no way God would do that. And so he held on to hope in the midst of imprisonment, in the midst of torture. What kind of faith did Bonhoeffer have? Well, he knew that God was with him at all times. He wrote a number of Christmas sermons that we have access to, and I just ran through a number of them, and I picked out some of the best parts that I think, I think will bring us hope together. This is what he said in one of them 89 years ago. He said, when we reach a point in our lives at which we are not only ashamed of ourselves, but believe God is ashamed of us too, when we feel so far from God, more than we have ever felt in our lives, then and precisely then, God is nearer to us than he has ever been. It is then that he breaks into our lives it is then that he lets us know that that feeling of despair is taken away from us so that we may grasp the wonder of his love, his nearness to us, and his grace. From another uh, sermon of his, he said, He is and always will be now with us in our sin, in our suffering, and at our death. We are no longer alone. God is with us and we are no longer homeless. A piece of the eternal home is grafted into us. It is not easy to grab hold of hope. Some of you are going through incredibly hard times. I just want to encourage you 
because God keeps his promises, what God promises he keeps, because he keeps his promises, we can trust that he is going to take care of us. And I don't know how that is going to be. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that answer is. But because of God's faithfulness and because he cannot lie, I know that somehow, some way, he is going to bring good out of what you are suffering through. God keeps his promises. Let go of the rope and grab hold of hope. With it being Advent, I wanted to share with you one more passage from a Bonhoeffer sermon. He said this. He said, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Let's pray together. God, thank you for keeping your promise. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. God, it feels at times that you're not. Remind us that you are with us, that you are closer than you ever have been to us, that you'll never leave us, and that your faithfulness is good. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Have a great rest.